0: The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. stinking bastard. People tell me, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm not alone. for emergency. Oh, this is We're pretty one work. Hello. What's Can't the problem?
1: You you and goes, Don't be a hero, mate.
0: And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, I would have nailed Carl Williams' hands to a coffee table and just pull it at his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little A cherub face, cherub face,
2: little boy who, 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 whose life would be. I'd harm someone, i
0: would kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially for an enormous amount of uh, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger.
2: Daryl Lewis was a small-time crook who did a big-time crime. This brought him to the attention of the Finks Motorcycle Club. The then president of the Beanley chapter, Stephen Craney, was a man who would not tolerate the thieving of his beloved Harley Davidson motorbike.
0: In November 1996, 18 very hairy and very pissed off bikers descended on Daryl Lewis's semi-rural property. Like a lava rain from hell, they were determined to get the bike back and reap a terrible and bloody revenge.
2: Hi, I'm Barney Black.
0: And I'm Tara Saraban.
2: And this is Bloody Murder.
0: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And
2: indeed around the globe.
0: Being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their families.
2: If you think humour has no business associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you.
0: Now before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've
2: had quite a few new ones join our new fancy patron program, which we will thank individually after our story.
0: If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com.
2: As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our revealing and full of spiders first season and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes.
0: As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only episodes where we really let fly.
2: Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges.
0: And, of course, you're automatically entered into the drawer for our monthly giveaways.
2: All right, Tara, let's get murdery. 34-year-old Daryl Lewis worked as a motorcycle mechanic in Greenbank, Queensland, Australia. Greenbank was a good place to live, amongst the palm trees and cane toads in Australia's tropical north. <laughs> Darryl wasn't a hard worker. In fact, when he wasn't taking speed, smoking bongs and smashing beers, he was doing anything he could to avoid work. To supplement his meagre income, Daryl liked pinching shit. That's right, Daryl was into more than a bit of petty crime. He was mostly into stealing motorcycle parts, but the heavily tattooed Daryl was up for anything as long as it wasn't too violent. One stupidly sunny and cloyingly humid day in February 1995, because they're all like that in Queensland. They
0: are, they really fucking are.
2: Darrell was repairing a Harley Davidson for a bloke by the name of Stephen Cranny, who just happened to be the club president of the local chapter of the Finks Motorcycle Club. As Daryl was toiling away with his shifter in his hand, he wiped his sweaty forehead with his blue singlet and a great idea popped into his head. Steal the bike, strip it down and sell the parts and tell El Presidente Stephen Cranny it was stolen, which wasn't really a lie, just don't tell him who stole it. Now, this was probably the dumbest idea since the invention of the leaf blower. God, those things are annoying.
0: Yeah, for fuck's sake, just use a broom.
2: But one thing in the leaf blower's defence, Tara, is that it won't rain down like 10,000 sharpened bricks on your head if you steal its prize motorcycle. This didn't occur to Darryl Lewis. He spirited away the expensive and fancy Harley Davidson to a storage shed he'd rented and began stripping down the sweet ride for parts. When Stephen Cranny came to pick up his Harley, he was more than a little disappointed to find out it had been stolen. In fact, he was furious. His face went red and steam came out of his ears. Cranny loved his custom-made Harley, which he was about to present at a bike show the next day, a show organised by the Finks. Cranny was sad that he couldn't show off his prized possession.
0: This made him mad again. His face went an even darker shade of red and even more steam came out his ears.
2: Well, when he calmed down several hours later, Stephen Cranny wondered who would be stupid enough to steal the ride of the president of the Finks Motorcycle Club.
0: The Finks formed in 1969 in South Australia and have since cemented a reputation for random and senseless violence in not only South Australia, but Perth and up and down the East Coast. So the Finks, not to be confused with other bikey clubs in Australia, such as the Banditos.
2: Or Brother Speed.
0: Or the Chosen Few. They don't have many members.
2: Or the Coffin Cheaters.
0: Or the Camancheros.
2: Or the Diablos.
0: Or the East Bay Dragons.
2: Or the Galloping Goose. Not sure how they ride motorcycles.
0: Or the Grim Reapers. Or the
2: Canadian Grim Reapers. Hey! Or
0: the gypsy jokers. Or the hangman. Or the headhunters.
2: Let's not forget the hell's angels. Or the hell's
0: lovers. Or
2: the mob shitters. Or the mongrels. Or the night wolves. Fighter of the day wolves. Or no
0: surrender. Or the notorious. Or the pissed off bastards. Or the road rats. Or the road runners. Apparently they're Polish. Or rock machine. Or the sadistic souls.
2: Or the Satan's choice.
0: Or sons of silence. You know, you don't hear much from them these days.
2: Or the Florida warlocks.
0: Or the Pennsylvania or Delaware warlocks. The list goes on, people. It really does. The Fink's name comes from the Wizard of Id cartoon, where the peasants often proclaim, the king is a Fink. The logo used by the Finks is of Bung, the king's jester. The pants worn by the jester differ in colour depending on the state the chapter resides in. Bung, the jester dude in the logo, has a big nose which is coloured red to look like he is an excessive drinker. And in one hand, he holds a bottle of
2: booze. I wonder who decided to make an alcoholic cartoon jester their mascot. I
0: know, right?
2: Is he their idol or are they just really into reading Wizard of Id comics?
0: Well, I haven't seen any of them reading any Wizard of Id comics of you. No. So the Fink's motto is attitude with violence which I think is a lovely sentiment. That was also
2: the motto of the Girl Scouts chapter I was in. Oh.
0: Fink's patches emblazoned on club T-shirts and hooded jumpers include S-Y-L-F or Support Your Local Fink's, f Fink's Forever, Forever Fink's, or Trust Me, I'm a Fink, and my personal favourite, A Fink Stinks, but Smile When You Smell Me.
2: Ah, Smile When You Smell Me. That's the name of my fourth album. I
0: know it is. A full patch member is required to wear a leather jacket, which bears the club logo of the character Bung, the jester dude, and a 1% patch, a reference to the belief shared by all bikies that they operate as part of the 1% of society outside of the law.
2: Ah, like those frozen yoghurt places. No.
0: What? According to the Brisbane Times, here are the Finks Motorcycle Club rules, which have apparently remained a secret for more than 40 years, so don't tell anybody. Rule one, no women.
2: I mean, like, ugh, girl germs.
0: Rule two, wives or girlfriends cannot wear club colours or be told club business, like they'd want to. Rule three, you must ride a British or American motorcycle over 650cc.
2: Definitely no Vespas.
0: To become a nominee of the club, you must join an interstate run and be nominated by a chapter. Noms or prospects require a fully patched member as a sponsor.
2: And a penis. Everyone's got to have at least one penis. This is true. I've got 12 penises.
0: Well, that's that's lucky. You could be a member 12 times over. Rule five, only fully patched members can have club tattoos.
2: Oh, so you and I can't get matching tattoos of a drunk court jester from a comic strip?
0: Shame. Rule six, members and noms must follow the code of S-L-Y-F, support your local fink, and quadruple F, finks forever, forever finks.
2: Adoy. And you you smile when you smell me.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of the opposite of what I do when I smell you, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Based on the forensic investigators episode we watched, I'm pretty sure that the seventh rule was that everyone has to have a dirty mullet.
2: Oh, yeah. The club is ruled by a national committee made up of four nominated members from each chapter. According to club rules, all chapters are to have a president who oversees the chapter and a sergeant at arms whose role it is to keep law and order by any means at all meetings and all activities to do with the club. Other roles include the treasurer who looks after the club's finances and the secretary who takes meeting minutes and records events such as runs, parties, etc. Under no circumstances is anyone to slap the secretary on the ass and demand a cup of tea.
0: That's rule number eight. Mm,
2: that's right. Chapters hold fortnightly meetings known as church nights. The treasurer takes dues from members and minutes of the meetings are circulated to other chapters. So it sounds very civilised, eh, Tara? Mm. Well, it isn't. Fink's <laughs> culture is rooted in obedience to hierarchy, rules and rituals and discipline with violent retribution for those who defy them. A builder told the Melbourne paper, the Herald Sun, that he built a stage and a bar and installed a stripper pole in a Fink's clubhouse, but he never got around to finishing the toilet and shower.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why he mentioned that last bit.
2: He also told the Herald Sun that inside the club, club supporters paid $100 a month for the privilege of drinking with the grizzled Finks, paying $5 a drink no matter what they ordered.
0: I shall have a pint of some melted gold with a sprinkle of diamonds on top, please, barkeep.
2: <laughs> I don't think that's what they meant.
0: No? Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> the noms or prospects would run the bar, obey fully patched members and generally behave as servants. According to the builder, it could take years before a nominee earned their full patch. Full members forked out $250 a month to wear the patch and fees were to be paid no matter what. Fist shaking. Whoa. The builder said the chapter operated more like a cult and the club members will be ordered to bash other members and nominees. Violent outbursts and random beatings were common on church nights where up to 50 people gathered and got really, really drunk. They loved to bash the tourists or blow-ins who foolishly thought it might be fun to drink with the leather-clad bikers. So yeah, Tara... Awesome. Want to join?
0: I can't. Not enough penises. I could,
2: I've could. i got 12. I'll yeah, give could you I, a few. could I
0: borrow a couple of penises, sure, please, and sure. we'll go drink with the Finks. What could possibly go wrong? President Cranny gave the task of locating his motorbike to Steve Avis, his sergeant-at-arms at the Finks. The Finks didn't have an ideal relationship with police. In fact, it had always been a tad strained. Contempt and vitriol was all they had to offer the Queensland Police Force. It has been reported that many Finks members would go with hostility rather than civility, refusing to answer questions or cooperate with police in any way. I don't answer questions. (laughs) Other members were a bit more open with their hatred of the cops. Profanity-laden outbursts, intimidation and violence were more common when it came to any interactions with the popo. Just a few months before Cranny's bike got pinched, Steve Avis had a run-in with police. They had responded to a disturbance call at the Eagle Heights Hotel. Steve was allegedly immediately aggressive and told the officer to fuck off, twerp. So yeah, the Finks thought it best to handle the stolen motorcycle in-house.
2: I can see why.
0: It took over a year to track the missing bike down. On November 25, 1996, word got to Cranny that his sweet ride was in the possession of his old mechanic, Darryl Lewis, and that he had it stashed in a rented storage shed. Darryl lived with his brother Scott and friend Paul Schultz at a semi-rural house at Greenbank, which is around 39 kilometres south of Brisbane. Fink scouts were sent to surveil the property that very day. With the reconnaissance completed, plans were made devious plans.
2: Dastardly plans?
0: Yes, but first they had to decide what they were having for tea. Chinese or fish and chips? At 8pm the very same night, after tea, Cranny gathered the troops. Members came from all over. The presidential Harley, stolen by a measly mechanic, this would not stand! All in all, 18 bikies answered the call, including Sergeant-at-Arms Steve Avis, Jeff Nelson, Glenn Laycock, Lou Stokes, Mark Gibson and Stephen Smurf-Meyer, amongst others. They gathered together in five vehicles at a park near Daryl Lewis's property. The Sergeant-at-Arms of the club, Steve Avis, whose elected role involved keeping the peace, informed the men in no uncertain terms that no one was to be killed. Nevertheless, the men were armed with baseball bats, chains, knives, pistols and sawn-off shotguns.
2: Yeah, there was also possibly crossbows, nunchucks, a trebuchet and an Iron Maiden, just to make sure.
0: Oh yeah, you've got to be sure. Disposable latex gloves were given to each member to wear.
2: The posse of 18 bikies travelled in a convoy to Daryl Lewis's house. It was Stephen Cranny who politely knocked on the door. Daryl's housemate Paul Schultz answered,
0: uh, yeah? Can I help ya?
2: Is Daryl home?
0: Yeah, nah, he's out. Sorry, don't know when I'll be back, eh? Hey.
2: Do you mind if we come in and wait? Before Paul could answer, 18 bikies began filing into his house. Rightio, Paul, we're not here to hurt you. Just do as you're told and you'll get through the night unharmed. Your housemate is in a bit of shit and there are a few people here that want to go him. Paul was told to sit back on the couch, watch TV and don't look at them.
0: Yeah, actually, they told him to look at his dick.
2: (laughs) After a few minutes, Paul was told to lock up his dogs and then resume looking at his dick. (laughs) The Finks then ransacked the house in search of the keys to the storage shed they believe contained the Harley. When I say ransacked, Tara, I mean Destroyed. Furniture was smashed, cupboard doors ripped off, mattresses slashed and toilets kicked in.
0: They even busted holes in the ceiling and made like meerkats, poking their heads up into the roof cavity and having a look around. No. After
2: about an hour of tossing the place, a promising set of keys was located in the roof. Mm. So that was worth it. Yeah. Just moments after that, Daryl and Scott Lewis pulled into the driveway in darryls beat-up Holden Commodore. As they alighted the car, the Lewis brothers were quite disturbed to see they were surrounded by 18 very hairy and very irate motorcycle enthusiasts. (laughs) Scott took a few steps back and then grabbed an iron bar he saw on the ground. He said,
0: Who the hell are you and what the fuck do you want?
2: He quickly dropped the weapon after Cranny pointed a pistol at his head. The president of the Finks Motorcycle Club turned to Darrell and said, Remember me, Daryl? Where the fuck is me Harley, you little cunt? Darryl replied, I don't know what you're... But before he could finish his sentence, he observed a dozen very pissed off, armed to the teeth bikers take a few steps towards him.
0: Okay, okay, I'll tell yous. Darryl then explained where the storage facility was located and confirmed the keys that they'd found would open it indeed. Darryl also told them that it wasn't a 24-hour facility, which meant that the bike could not be retrieved until the morning. Glenn Laycock then gave Scott Lewis two swift blows with an aluminium baseball bat to the knee and the side of his face, fracturing his knee and skull and causing him to fall to the ground unconscious. When he regained consciousness, Scott saw seven men bashing the living shit out of his brother Daryl. Three had baseball bats, the other four were kicking and punching him. At one point, Daryl was able to wrestle one of the baseball bats away and started fighting back, getting in a few good whacks before it was taken from him. Darryl continued to be struck after he'd fallen to the ground. The beating only stopped when Daryl seemed to have no fight left in him. The Finks decided they would go to the storage facility and wait there until it opened. But Darryl wasn't done. He sprung up and grabbed another baseball bat. Daryl came towards Laycock with the bat and began swinging wildly. Laycock eventually got the bat from Darrell and bonked him once on the head, but Daryl was not giving up, punching and kicking anyone who got close to him. Fink's member Lou Stokes came out of the house to try and subdue Daryl, but to no avail. Another Fink, Jeff Nelson, then tried to settle Daryl by grabbing him in a bear hug. Oh, I love you. Yeah, no! No,
2: no, that's different bear hug, isn't it? No
0: hugs. Daryl broke free and punched Stokes in the face and floored him. I told you, no hugs! Nelson grabbed Daryl in another bear hug and wrestled him down. Two or three others held him on the ground and punched him until he stopped squirming. Just when they thought they had him under control, like some kind of Terminator, Daryl again broke loose and started punching some of the eight other Finks who were by now involved in the struggle. Daryl was forced to the ground by Nelson and held there by a number of others. Nelson poured water on Daryl to calm him, but this just made Daryl angrier. Punches were thrown as Nelson tried to settle him. Darrell's brother Scott was also trying to calm him, telling him just to get in the car and pick up the bike. Darrell said, Get fucked, I'll kill a lot of them. Nelson and the others wrestled and threw Daryl into the boot of his car. Daryl was smashing the boot with his fists and his head, and Scott Lewis persuaded them to take his brother out. Darryl was pulled out of the boot, still struggling and abusive, and was wrestled and pushed by Nelson into the back of the car. Darrell said,
2: You can all get fucked, I'll kill a lot of you. You're not getting your bite back, cunt.
0: Darryl didn't look too good at this stage. He had a blood nose and cuts on his face, and he was spitting blood when he talked to Nelson.
2: By this point, Paul Schultz had been taken outside by one of the bikies and walked towards the car. One Fink gestured towards Paul and said, ''Well, this cunt's seen too much.'' Paul replied with,
0: ''Oh, I haven't seen anything. I've seen nothing.''
2: ''He's been looking at his dick the whole time.''
0: ''Yeah, that's what they told him to do.''
2: Cranny told Paul to get in the car. In Daryl's Commodore, were Daryl in the back seat, flanked by his housemate Paul Schultz, who didn't know what the fuck was going on and was once again told to look at his dick, on the other side of Darryl was bikey Jeff Nelson. Driving the Commodore was Fink Lou Stokes with fellow bikey Glenn Laycock, who had an aluminium baseball bat at his feet. Yes, we say aluminium here in Australia and not aluminium. Aluminum. Driving in another car was El Presidente Stephen Cranny and his Sergeant at Arms Steve Avis. The two cars drove out of the Green Bank property, but only got about 500 metres before there was more trouble. Now, Tara, did I mention that Daryl Lewis was high on amphetamines?
0: Ah, see, now this is starting to make sense.
2: Oh, he was really high, and he was not done. Daryl came back to life and grabbed Nelson around the neck and started choking him. Darryl said, I'll kill you, you cunt! Seeing what was going on, Lou Stokes pulled the car over. Nelson hit the door handle and fell out with Daryl on top of him with Nelson's legs still in the car. Both men going at it, punching each other like it was National Punching Day.
0: National Punching Day?
2: Yeah, it's a real thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Laycock eventually dragged Daryl off Nelson by his shirt, tearing it in the process. This was possibly a mistake, Tara, mm-hmm. as this turned Berserk Daryl into Super Berserk Daryl, and he focused his attention towards Laycock and advanced on him. Daryl and Laycock fought with their fists.
0: Because it was international punching day. That's
2: right, that's right. And Daryl said,
0: Get fucked, I'll kill a lot
2: of yous. You're not getting your bike back, you fucking cunts. Laycock grabbed the baseball bat from the front seat, took a massive swing and hit Daryl on the head, making a huge bong sound. This slowed him down a little. Darryl looked around like he didn't know where he was and then dropped to his knees. Laycock took another big swing and hit him again on the side of the head with the bat. Darrell slumped to the ground. Laycock gave him a kick to make sure he was out. Nelson then helped Laycock toss him back in the car. Nelson later claimed in court that Laycock said, he deserved it, you know, because he was trying to kill me.
0: (laughs) Sure, Nelson.
2: Darrell's vehicle caught up with the other vehicle containing Cranny and Avis. All then drove off in a convoy.
0: We'll be back with part two of Daryl versus the Finks after this. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans,
1: underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hey, Barney. Yes, Tara. What time is it?
2: It's True Crime Nerd Time! Woo! True Crime Nerd
0: Time True Crime Nerd Time
1: True Crime Nerd Time
2: True Crime Nerd Time Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, stuffed animal... Mm. Or anything that has scratched your true crime itch Because stuffed animals can be haunted and do crimes
0: Yeah, yeah, well all the best ones are
2: Hey Tara, did you know you can just record your voice Just do it on your phone, we'll play it Or write it and we'll read it out
0: Yes, I did know that, yes
2: And we have another one here from Tracy Stewart
0: Oh, she's awesome, isn't she? She
2: really is, she writes well And she writes, Dear Barney and Tara I thought I would contribute another true crime nerd time Yes I listened to the audiobook of Forensics: What Bugs, Burns, Prints, DNA and More Tell Us About Crime by Vel McDermott. Who writes this who writes a series about profiler Tony Hill?
0: Oh yeah, Wire in the Blood. I've great. read several of those, so great.
2: they're great. The great show too.
0: Mm. Robson Green. Robson. It's not Robson, it's Robson.
2: Robson Green. Robson Green. The Le Monde Hotel.
0: <laughs> okay, Robson, if you're listening, uh, hit us up, tell us how to say your name. Robeson. Nice one, Mr. Green.
2: The book is narrated by Sarah Barron, who has a wonderful Scots brogue. So every time she says murder, and she says it a lot, it's like she's doing a Baz imitation.
0: Oh, we love Barry from Extraordinary Stories podcast. He knows how to say murder better than I think pretty much anyone. Murder. Mm, You sound a bit like a constipated robot when you say it.
2: It used to be my favourite line in that show, Tag It, as well.
0: Ah, yeah. what that word was your favourite line? (laughs) Yeah,
2: I think we might have a murder
0: Uh Still a constipated robot when you do it though
2: Anyway, Tracy goes on to write It's a fascinating look at the origins of forensic science How all the techniques we take for granted today were invented or discovered And how they gained acceptance by ignorant juries as well as ignorant cops And also how a few techniques have been discredited
0: Mm.
2: Like leeches
0: Yeah, leeches, that's a shame, I really enjoyed leeches
2: A slew of classic murder, sorry, murder cases are highlighted from the woman who killed her two children in Buenos Aires and was the first person convicted with a fingerprint to Jack the Ripper who might have been caught if Scotland Yard had had a good CSI team. (laughs) All the way up to recent cases being solved with DNA or not. One of my favourite bits was when McDermott brought in the nutshell studies of unexplained death, which I always mean to spend more time looking into. I love this book and want more and you shall have it.
0: <laughs>
2: ta Have you been good, Tracy? She has, hasn't she? i has been
0: good, yeah.
2: Uh, she writes, she closes with, I just want to thank you both for making me laugh when I need a laugh and also for how fierce you both can get about what victims go through. I love it when you get serious, but also sexy Barney and Russian Tara give me life. <laughs> You're pretty great. Don't let any of the pricks tell you otherwise ever. (laughs) Much love. Hey, baby. Adios, Tracy Stewart.
0: Thank you, Tracy. Maybe we share a bottle of vodka sometime and compare our dirty pillows.
2: Oh, thanks, Tracy. <laughs> I'm sure that will happen. Um,
0: oh, yeah, bring it. Just hit me up, girlfriend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that book was Forensics, What Bugs, Burns, Prints, DNA, and More Tell Us About Crime by Val McDermott, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit a true crime nerd time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. We really do need you to send some in. I'm, I'm running low.
0: Yeah, I mean Tracy's pretty awesome, but she can't write yeah, all of them.
2: She can't write them all. No. Unless she wants to. Well, I mean, I'm feel all right free with that. to.
0: <laughs> and now we've got our Tracy
2: time, nerd time. <laughs> Tracy crime nerd time.
0: <laughs> Tracy crime nerd time. I like it.
1: Hello everyone. Let me tell you about the Apple for the Teacher podcast. I'm Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So, you're probably thinking it's about Reading, writing and arithmetic, right? Well, think again. It's a fresh take on true crime, where you wouldn't expect to find true crime. In schools, yes, schools. I will share with you the tragic and shocking stories I have uncovered in my own profession. You will hear stories about murder, abduction, school bus hijack, student disappearance, suicide, kidnap and ransom, school camp tragedy, the list goes on. So if you're looking for something a little different in the true crime genre, then Apple for the Teacher is for you. So join me as I present The Bad Apples. But until then, remember to be a good apple.
0: So Barney, this year's been a bit frightful, hasn't it? We've had the bushfires, we've had the floods, and now we have the toilet paper crisis.
2: I know, I'm wiping my bum with hose. Yeah, I
0: know. So yeah, it's been a pretty stinky year.
2: Tara, it's only March.
0: Oh, well, you know, times are tough for a lot of people at the moment, Barney. Life's busy and, well, unfortunately, it isn't always great.
2: Well, luckily, we're both big believers in therapy, but finding the time to go can be a problem.
0: If you have something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counselling is there for you.
2: BetterHelp offers licensed professional counsellors who are specialised in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem and more.
0: You can connect with a professional counsellor in a safe and private online environment and anything you share is confidential. Oh, and it's just really convenient.
2: You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Because sometimes you just don't want people to see your face. You oh, know? God, like all the You're time. Much better just chatting, you know, mm. online, you know, like the with the keyboard.
0: I do my best work blindfolded. If you're not happy with your counsellor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge, which is important. You need to be able to gel with them, you know?
2: That's right. It's a service that is available worldwide and you could be communicating with a counsellor that really suits you in under 24 hours.
0: Also, it's a truly affordable option and as a Bloody Murder listener, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code Bloody Murder.
2: So why not get started today? I can't think of a reason. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash bloody Murder. Simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counsellor that really understands you.
0: That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder
2: with the discount code bloody murder one word. Now for the conclusion of Daryl versus the Finks.
0: Returning to the back seat of the Commodore, Paul Schultz noticed Daryl's hair was heavily matted with blood. He gurgled when he breathed and he'd lost control of his bowels. Nelson asked Laycock, what would you do that for? What would you bring the bat for?
2: Oh, if I'd brought a gun, I would have blown his head off.
0: Laycock replied. Daryl regained consciousness. Paul Schultz could hear his breathing was laboured and that there was fluid in his windpipe. He seemed to be asking for help. Shortly afterwards, Daryl Lewis's breathing stopped. Daryl's vehicle pulled up beside Stephen Cranny's and Nelson told Cranny that Daryl was pretty crook and might be dead. Fearing a future murder charge, the bikies detoured to an ambulance station at Bean Lee, where Daryl's battered and bloodied body was left on a grassy verge outside. The problem was that all the ambulances were out on jobs. Four phone calls to triple zero were made over the next 45 minutes from three different public phone booths. On three occasions the caller was stoked, and on one occasion it was cranny. Stokes told a triple zero operator.
1: No, up I just got him from the top. Oh, yeah. get someone there now. Quick. What's your phone Hurry up. What's your phone...
0: He then rang from a different phone box. We uh, yeah, so yeah, gotta get someone
2: there quick. he's not looking good, right?
0: And then again later. Yeah,
1: listen, the mate, there's a burned engine lying outside the bloody, um... Dean Lee Ambulance Centre, mate,
0: on the ground. Cranny then called.
1: So he's not breathing. So can you hurry up and
0: fucking get someone out of here? Police and an ambulance raced to the scene. Daryl Lewis's body had no ID or wallet. Police eventually identified him by his fingerprints police described his injuries as astounding and some of the worst that they'd ever seen. Later that night, Scott Lewis and Paul Schultz were handed a can of VB beer each by Stephen Cranny and told to keep their mouths shut and not talk to the police. I watched someone get beaten to death and all I got was this lousy can of VB.
2: Yeah, it's a bit rough.
0: They were then allowed to go home in Daryl's blood-soaked Holden. Cranny called Triple O again to check if the ambulance had arrived. Yeah, the
2: ambulance is there, yeah? All right. Where are you? you? I'll find out the condition of this load. Where are you ringing from, matey? <phone rings> hey?
0: Stephen Cranny hung up.
2: A post-mortem examination on Daryl Lewis revealed injuries including multiple lacerations and bruises to the face, skull, arms and hands, body and tram track bruising to the legs and buttocks. Tram track bruising is a pattern which appears when an object with a circular or oval cross-section comes into forceful contact with the skin, squeezing the blood in two different directions at the moment of impact and rupturing blood vessels along parallel lines on each side of the point of maximum contact. It is said to be consistent with a large degree of force.
0: Like being hit with a baseball bat or a metal pipe, for example.
2: Exactly. Daryl Lewis had five fractures of the ribs and fractures of the facial bones so severe as to destroy the skull around the nose and both cheeks, as well as severe widespread fractures to the skull, which reduced the skull to small pieces. Jesus. There were also multiple bruises to the surface of his brain. The cause of death was having the living shit bashed out of him, or in other words, primarily head injuries, but all injuries were said to have contributed. Detectives were sure that Beanley Ambulance Station was not the site of the murder. Forensics were called in to scour the scene, taking tyre impressions, etc. A tape lifting technique was used to reveal if there were any fibres or foreign hairs on Darrell's body. Police sent forensic investigators to the phone boxes where the triple O calls were made and fingerprinted the handsets and glass, took more tyre impressions and scooped up more than a few cigarette butts. The following morning, detectives visited the last known address of Daryl Lewis. A meek and nervous Paul Schultz answered the door. Detective Sergeant Les Richards asked Paul if he knew the whereabouts of Daryl Lewis. After Paul said he didn't, the detectives informed Paul that Daryl had been found dead. Paul calmly said,
0: Ah, wait here, I've got someone you should talk to.
2: Paul left the officers at the door and shortly afterwards a bruised and beaten Scott Lewis limped over to them. Before the cops could ask him a single question, Scott collapsed. Detectives called an ambulance and then searched the house to find that it had already been vigorously tossed and destroyed. When police turned their attention to the driveway, they found Darrell Lewis's Holden Commodore sedan. Blood was smeared along the doors and trunk and it looked like a blood bomb had gone off inside.
0: Oh, it really did.
2: The bloodstains included impact spatters, contact smears and cast-off patterns.
0: Oh yeah, look, it would have given Dexter Morgan a boner for sure. The grounds of the property were searched. A single blood-stained latex glove was found as well as numerous cigarette butts. The yard was littered with bloody objects, dozens of footprints and several different tyre impressions. Hey, baby, I'm a tyre. That was a good one. Good tyre impression you got there, Barney. Thanks. Police checked CCTV in the vicinity of the Beanley Ambulance Station on the night of the murder and found footage from a mobile service station just metres from the ambulance station. It showed Daryl's car driving past and then a few minutes later going past again in the opposite direction. Detectives tried to interview Paul Schultz and Scott Lewis, but both were shit scared and weren't talking. Detective Superintendent Mike Condon spoke to Paul and tried to convince him that he was better off being on the side of the police and that he should be working toward being what a member of the public should be, rather than having a gang chase him for the rest of his life. This seemed to work. Paul, now believing he would be safer if he cooperated, opened up to detectives, Although Paul told them the whole story, he could not identify the assailants as he was looking at his dick the whole time. Good old-fashioned police work and forensic evidence would be what solved this case. One thing Paul Schultz had told detectives is that the gang had been wearing latex gloves. The glove found in the driveway at the scene was turned inside out and checked for fingerprints. A latent print was found and matched to Steve Avis, the sergeant at Arms of the Finks Motorcycle Club. Avis's DNA was also found on cigarette butts, dropped in the Green Bank front yard. Daryl's brother Scott was the next to open up to detectives. With his information, police searched Daryl's storage shed and found the stolen motorcycle, or what was left of it. These parts were then traced back to Fink's president, Stephen Cranny. The Fink's Motorcycle Club was put under surveillance and the comings and goings videotaped. From the video, Scott Lewis was able to identify many members of the 18 who'd been at his Green Bank home on the night of the murder.
2: On December 18th, 1996, 50 cop cars rolled out of Logan Police Station in dawn raids. Many doors were broken down and dozens of Fink's members were hauled in. Cranny told police at the time, I know nothing about it, so there's no use having an interview. It didn't matter. Stephen Cranny, Steve Avis, Jeff Nelson and Mark Gibson were charged with murder. Knowing loose lips sink ships, the code of silence held up and nobody was talking. But police had obtained their mobile phone records. This showed the men all calling each other on the night of the murder and the cell towers the phones were pinging off gave police their locations. This revealed the entire gang moving between their clubhouse, the Greenbank property where Daryl Lewis lived and the Beanley Ambulance Station. What police didn't know was what role each Fink member had played and more importantly who struck the fatal blows. With police moving in the Finks were getting nervous and as we know it only takes one to start talking to get the dominoes to fall.
0: That's right, and the first one to talk gets the best deal.
2: Well, that's exactly what happened, Tara. Yeah, the first to square was El Presidente himself, Stephen Cranny. They come up beside me and they went. They said, "Oh, Jesus, you know, they told me they said oh, we think he's dead." And I've gone, you know, I my, my shit myself. I said, what do you mean he's fucking dead? You know what's happened because when he lived here, there was, you know, there was bugger all wrong with. From there to where they've told me. He's fucking dead, but I'm—you know—I've just fucking hit the panic buttons. I said, "Well, get into the fucking ambulance at late. He told the police he was shocked by what had happened and told his fink mates that night, "What the hell's going on here? Everything has turned from champagne to shit." He told detectives, "If it wasn't for that laycock bastard, none of this shit would have happened." Cranny pled guilty to grievous bodily harm. He was sentenced to six years. He served only three. Jeff Nelson, who was in the back seat with Daryl Lewis and Paul Schultz, was the next to talk. He corroborated Cranny's story that it was Laycock who delivered the fatal baseball bat blows to Daryl's head. Nelson pled guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to nine years, but only served two and a half years. He was released on compassionate grounds as he was dying of cancer. He died soon after being set free.
0: Steve Avis, the sergeant-at-arms, was also charged with grievous bodily harm. He was found guilty and served five years. Lou Stokes was convicted of manslaughter and served ten years. Glenn Laycock was convicted of murder and sentenced to life. He was paroled in 2010 after serving 14 years. Another dozen members of the Finks were charged with various firearms and drug offences. The fallout for the Finks was tremendous. Because the president of the club had cooperated with law enforcement and informed on his fellow members, the Finks' leadership was in tatters. It would take years and the ascent of a new, younger president and a recruitment drive to get the Finks back on track. Oh, that's
2: good news then.
0: No, it isn't. Despite its claims to be a humble club of motorcycle enthusiasts built on brotherhood, At the heart of the Finks is a criminal organisation busy with mafia-style extortion attempts, serious assaults and significant drug trafficking. In defiance of numerous attempts by state governments to squash the Finks, they persevere and the Finks endure to this day. Whoa. I know. Still going. You could still join. You've got enough penises.
2: (laughs) Is 12 enough?
0: Yeah, I hear that 12 is enough, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, what a story. Hey, you know, we covered another Fink member back in Episode 28, Christopher Hudson. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, He was a nasty piece of work.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, In it, the 2006 Ballroom Blitz, um, he defected over to the Hells Angels and that made a shootout between the Finks and the Hells Angels. That was at a kickboxing tournament on the Gold Coast. Of
0: course it was.
2: Hudson got shot and stabbed that night. Unfortunately, he survived. Mm, Yeah. Because the next year, ice and alcohol fueled. He shot a solicitor dead and nearly killed an exotic dancer and a Dutch backpacker in Melbourne CBD after stumbling out of a strip club. That was an awful one.
0: I know. I, I It's like, I um, can't believe motorbike clubs were fighting over that guy. He was a nightmare.
2: Oh, here's, here's the kicker. Before surrendering to police, a club tattoo was burned from his forearm with a blowtorch by the Hells Angels because he made the club look bad.
0: God, well, yeah, Kate Hudson, the actress, had to change her surname because he made everyone with the surname Hudson look bad. How do you make
2: the Hells Angels look bad? <laughs>
0: doing that, I
2: think it goes right back to the when they did um, security for that Rolling Stones concert, (laughs) and and, and someone died.
0: Anyway, there are a lot of stories associated with these uh, with these bikie clubs. I can say,
2: yeah, there are. Um, Hey, Tara.
0: Yes, Barney. I showed it to my husband. He kicked them a bit and agreed that it was kangaroo balls. balls.
2: What is Aussie Az?
0: What the fuck was that, man? I feel like I just took like some angry, angry Didgeridoo acid. I made a made a little theme for Aussie (laughs) Az as as a
2: surprise. What do you think?
0: I I don't know. It touched me. It touched my soul, but I'm not sure if it it was in a good way or not.
2: (laughs) So yeah, what is Aussie Az?
0: Aussie as a tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Uh, would you like to hear one?
2: I would. This I would.
0: definitely about criminal stupidity for those ah. playing along at home. For reasons we don't quite understand, the worldwide outbreak of the coronavirus has caused many Australian people to stock up on toilet paper like they're about to live underground with rampant diarrhoea for the next 4,000 years. Although toilet paper hoarding is happening in other countries, it doesn't seem to have reached a nationwide crisis like it has here. Seriously, you can't get the stuff anywhere anymore. One of our listeners, Joy Amelia, referred to Aussies as a bunch of bum-obsessed nongs in our Facebook group. And she's not wrong. She's not wrong about the bum-obsessed nongs. Aussies have been panic buying the bum ward as much as they can fit in their shopping trolleys and cars in fear that the coronavirus will cause an end to civilisation as we
2: know it. And we won't be able to stop pooing.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, apparently. This has left many store shelves empty and caused Woolworths to ban shoppers buying more than four packs of toilet paper at a time.
2: Well, Tara, you can't ride the bog train without a poo ticket.
0: Oh, yeah, the ticket inspectors will get you. So this is in spite of the fact that there have been no warnings about a shortage of lavatory paper and the virus doesn't cause those infected to go to the toilet more than usual. Like what the hell? Sustainable toilet paper company Who Gives a Crap, great name, has claimed that purchases of toilet paper have increased by 800% in response to the 42 confirmed cases of the virus in Australia – And you know what else? This shit is even turning violent. There was an altercation at a Westfield Woolworths in Parramatta in Western Sydney yesterday in the toilet paper aisle, of course. A witness told the Daily Mail Australia, Oh, yeah, there was a fight over toilet paper. You could hear the commotion coming from down the end of the aisle. There's a knife pulled and the people started running around. It was all over in a few moments. Security were here and police came and talked to a woman. According to police, no one was injured and a woman was being interviewed by investigators. Six officers attended the scene. They probably had to drag her away from the toilet paper aisle as she was screaming, You'll have to pry this toilet paper from my cold dead hands, you bastards! Oh, this wasn't the only incident either. A New South Wales man has been tasered by police after getting into an argument with staff over toilet paper at a store in Tamworth. A New South Wales police spokesperson told 9.com.au, ''Police have been told a 50-year-old man began to argue with staff members and another customer.'' He threw a box of tissues at a staff member and tried to choke a customer. When the police came to question him, he attempted to put one of them in a headlock before grabbing for another officer's gun. All of this over toilet paper, Barney.
2: First you get the toilet paper, (laughs) then you get the power, (laughs) and then you get the women. (laughs)
0: Well, that explains it a little. Now, some greedy fuckers are taking advantage of the situation and they're selling toilet rolls online for exorbitant prices. No joke, one roll went for $1,000 today on eBay.
2: Exorbitant prices. (laughs) I like that. $1,000
0: $1,000 for a roll of bog paper. This actually happened. And then we have the toilet paper hoarders sitting on their thrones of Kleenex, looking down on all of us and laughing, <laughs> fantasising about the day they can leverage their toilet paper stash to make themselves mayor of Bartertown in our post-apocalyptic, shitty Mad Max coronavirus nightmare. Now leave it to the rambunctious geniuses at our beloved NT News to come up with a solution. Yesterday they tweeted, Breaking. We are printing a special eight-page lift-out of toilet newspaper tomorrow in case you can't find any at the shops. Hashtag coronavirus. Hashtag toilet paper crisis. And in yesterday's edition they came through for all of Australia.
2: They gave us TP for our bungholes. They
0: did. The front page of the paper said, Run out of loo paper? The NT News Cares. That's why we've printed an eight-page special lift-out inside, complete with handy cut lines for you to use in an emergency. Get your limited edition one-ply toilet newspaper sheets here. The NT News toilet paper was white with, like, a little Australia-shaped markings on them. So it's almost like wiping your bum with the Australian flag.
2: Uh, That's not against the law here. In fact, they encourage it.
0: That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, thanks to the NT News, I do have a square to spare. So we survived the bushfires in January and the floods in February just to end up with a toilet paper crisis in March. I am scared to think about what April will bring.
2: I'm using cigarette papers.
0: Yeah? Yeah. For your bunghole?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're
0: not very big, though, are they? No,
2: they're not. uh, They're they're not very absorbent, too.
0: No. (laughs) This brings us to the end of another episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you so much to Definitely Not Bees from the United States. That
2: was a lovely review she That wrote. was fantastic, he, actually. she, it, they. And falls like a feather. That, that was, was another beauty. Yeah, via Stitcher, no less.
0: Oh, yeah, that's where they hate us, <laughs> usually. Um, and also from Stephen, thank you very much. Oh, and Cindy Murray.
2: Who got scored herself a Hair Baby T-shirt and she wears it with pride, apparently. Oh,
0: that's so lovely of you guys. Mm. We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team and wish Holly Marie the best uh, as she stepped down as a moderator after, well, nearly three whole years. So yeah, thanks, thanks- so much.
2: Thanks so much, Holly, for all your hard work. Yeah,
0: and your dedication. Thank you.
2: We love our patrons, Tara, and in an attempt to show them how much we do, we're holding monthly giveaways.
0: February's lucky winner of the set of funky Bloody Murder fridge bagnets was the wonderful Heather Ignash.
2: If you're listening, Heather, I want to see pictures of them on your fridge. This month we're giving away... A Bloody Murder T-shirt with the design, Tara Touch My Muscles. No,
0: Barney, stop being weird.
2: Spot all the Bloody Murder references in this turn-of-the-century game of murder Spotto.
0: To have a chance to win, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon at a level of $5 or above.
2: Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program.
0: So, thank you so much to Charlie Childress.
2: Ellison Cunningham from the Resolved Mysteries Oh, I love podcast. them.
0: Karen Duncan. Philippa Willits, Evelyn Reese, Kieran, Vicky Robin,
2: Francis Hall,
0: Tom Welmer from the Creativity... Oh, okay. Tom Welmer from the Creatively Wasted podcast. Hey, Tom.
2: And Janie Waters. She's in the UK. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too, because we're really thirsty.
0: <laughs> uh, so who's buying the drinks this week?
2: Well, it's Dawn. Thank you, Dawn Harrison. You are very kind. Thank you. I've been Barney Black.
0: And I've been Tara Saraban. And
2: this is Bloody Murder.
0: Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page.
2: And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps.
0: You can follow us through our Facebook page or join our awesome Facebook group. At Twitter, we're at Bloody murder Pod, And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore podcast.
2: Check out our website, Bloody Murder Podcast, for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our threadless merchandise.
0: Thanks for sticking around, and we'll be back next week.
2: Goodbye and adios.
0: And keep kicking against the pricks.
2: Hey, baby, I'm a tire.
0: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, so, all right, we need to um, figure out how, what our resources are for bloody murder. So at home, I have eight and a half rolls of toilet paper, two boxes of tissues, and one, um, like, paper towel thing. What do you have?
2: I've got a four-pack of telehose. Well, a five-pack, but I've used one.
0: Okay, no, you've got toilet paper. I saw some.
2: Actually, I've got stacks.
0: Ah, so Barney, you're going to become the mayor of Bartertown, huh? I am. <laughs> hey, all hail Mayor Barney. Well, you know, want to see his, impers- his impression of a tyre? Well, I didn't
2: know this was coming, by the way, but I lost my car a couple of weeks ago, and on the last shopping trip I did, because that's a pain to carry, toilet mm. rolls. I bought heaps.
0: Yeah. Bow down to Barney, I say.
2: And I'm willing to sell them.
0: Yeah, $1,000 a book roll, mate. That's a square. Oh, well, yes... Shit, that's pretty expensive, isn't it? Shit indeed. I know, I keep yeah. saying that. This is like the shittiest hey, thing. I've ever and it said.
2: and it's pretty quality stuff. It's ripped for your for your bottom's pleasure. Ooh. And it's not that stuff that just moves it around. It's very absorbent.
0: Oh, absorbent. That's Exorbitantly right. priced absorbent toilet paper. That's
2: right. I mean, this is this is really this this is top shelf.
0: Well, yeah, you heard it first. Uh, go to our, if you want to buy some of Barney's used toilet paper, go to our website No, it's not
2: used. It's this is Seriously, gourmet poo tickets. If oh, you're okay. going to ride the bulk train, you'll be riding it in style. riding first class. You'll oh, be riding first class. <laughs> You know what happens when you ride first class in the bog train? Someone comes over and offers you a
0: glass of champagne. Oh, but if you're not careful, it can turn from champagne to shit real fast.
2: Oh, well, this is what we've learned today, right?
0: Oh, we definitely learned that. Oh, yeah. Hey, so we had to, um, we had to, unfortunately, we had to make a complaint to HR, which is my dog, Pop, and we had to fire our geography editor because they made a mistake in the most recent episode.
2: Yeah, it was uh, South Carolina, not North Carolina.
0: Yeah, so, um... Hi Gavin,
2: and we're sorry to South Carolina and North Carolina.
0: We're just sorry, just generally yeah, speaking. Yeah, but
2: look, the problem has been dealt with. They've yeah. been fired.
0: Yeah, Pop fired him, and now um, Bloody Murder Team we are down to only forty-two people. Yeah, only forty-two on the <laughs> researchers now, <laughs> and writers, accountants. Oh, well, the lawyers, of course. Let's not forget the lawyers. Uh,
2: social media the, uh, managers, style guides. I mean, we've got to look good.
0: Yeah, we're <laughs> at all times. I mean, I look stunning right now. Hey, you do can you think, hear it?
2: Do you think these jorts are just off the shelf? jorts you, they're not
0: no those are designer jorts those and also you jorts. kind of picked a bad time to be making jorts out of paper mache toilet paper didn't you
2: well i can because i'm, I'm and you're you know, the king
0: of Buttertown. that's <laughs> right first you get
2: the toilet paper then you get the power <laughs> then you get the toilet paper jorts before Paul could answer, 18 bikies began filing into his house. Into the... <laughs> it became filing out of my mouth like fucking oh, Filing diarrhea, out of your like a, ass. Like a diarrhea waterfall.
0: <laughs> 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 I got I to gotta not go overboard on the swearies. Or underboard. I got to get the exact right amount of fucks. <laughs> I'm not sure how many that is. But, you know, too many fucks, Tara swears too much. Too few fucks, Tara doesn't swear it off.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's got to be just, it's like a fucking bowl of fucking fuck porridge, isn't it, for I, Goldilocks?
0: Well, well, yeah, it is a bowl of fuck porridge, but I have to walk the fuck tightrope <laughs> over the bowl of fuck porridge. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, did I say cunt enough? Oh, did I say cunt too often? And
2: when a listener eats the bowl of fuck porridge, you're going to (laughs) go, oh, this is just right.
0: Yeah, it has to be just right. And then I've
2: got to lie down in the fuck bed and that's got to (laughs) be just right too. Oh, that kind of didn't come Mm, out right, did it? I
0: know, I know. Maybe sitting in the fuck chair was a better way to look at it.
2: And the cunt bed?
0: No, no, that, 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 that...
2: After they've eaten their bowl of fuck porridge <laughs> and it's just right, they've got to take a nap in the cunt bed. And that's got to be just right as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, don't they start off sitting in the shit chair?
2: Ah, the shit chair?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a gateway drug to the fuck porridge.
2: Oh, yeah, And then comes right. the cunt bed. <laughs> of course it does.
0: Duh. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Trust us. We're doctors.
2: A slew... A slew.
0: Hmm? A slew. You can't make slaw without slew.
2: I like coleslaw.
0: Yeah, you would. Why? Because it goes with sausages.
2: does, actually. There, and chicken. Yeah,
0: there you go. Chicken-eating motherfucker. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's not a lie. I admit it. Four phone calls were made to triple fuck. <clears throat> triple fuck? Yeah, hey. Fuck, 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 fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't even triple do. fuck,
2: triple fuck, fuck,
0: fuck. <coughs> I did a bonus. I'm fuck. just going to call triple fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Hello, how can I help you? Fuck, fuck, fuck. Mm. Oh, we'll be right there. Fuck, fuck, fuck.
1: Mm.
2: Police sent forensic investigators to the phone boxes where the triple tri- triple fuck calls were called. Fuck, <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. fuck. <laughs> Look at him; he's got the business box there. Oh, he He's likes getting, the business he like, box. He likes to tussle with the business box. Well,
0: yes, you know, the business box is for business. It's not for good times. It's for business and working. It's not for partying. It's not the party box. It's the business What's box. What's
2: the company policy on that business, business Tara?
0: Uh, the company policy is that the business box is for business only. And if you want to party, you need to do it off the work premises. No partying at work
2: photocopying your ass?
0: No, not on the work photocopier. No, because that's for business.
2: So I have to photocopy my ass on my own photocopier at home.
0: Look, what you do on your own photocopier in the privacy of your own home is your own business. Okay, it's not it's nothing to do with the the business photocopier. But your own personal photocopier is your business. It's not the business's business.
2: Sorry, that's not very clear to me. Can you explain it to me again?
0: Okay. So, Barney, I think that maybe it might be a good idea if you were to listen very carefully. Although Paul told them the whole story, he could not identify the assailants as he was looking at his dick the whole time. Which one? Oh, no, he only had one. It's you. Barney Multi Dicks is the one that has all the dicks. Hey, baby, I'm Barney Multi (laughs) Dicks. I got two cakes and a whole lot of dicks. Which one you want a piece of? Hey, baby, I'm a police
2: tire.
0: <laughs> 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 that's a sound of the police tire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, we're immature, but at least we're old.
2: Yeah, that's right. Cranny pled guilty to Cranny. Cranny is right.
0: Yeah, you were correct. That's, yeah. why, that's why you were surprised. You're like, oh, God, I was right about something. I've got
2: a Cranny in my granny.
0: Yeah, just show us your granny, Cranny. <laughs>
2: Or oh, you want to see my apple, or the mother of my mother?
0: I want to see both.
2: You want to see the mother of my mother eating an apple?
0: <laughs> Ooh, I would pay good money, Granny. It's
2: a green apple, which, by the way, in 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 the scale of the most bitter apples,
0: mm-hmm. the
2: the Granny Smith is the most bitter apple.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that, Cranny. That was very educational. Um, I, I no longer doubt why you were ever the president of the Finks. Because you know what the Finks know a lot about apples?
2: Would you like to hear my tyre tire impression? <laughs> hey, baby, I'm a tyre.
0: <laughs> roll, roll, roll. Roll, roll, roll.
2: roll, roll. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a bit flat today.
0: Roll, roll, roll. 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 roll, roll. That's a flat tyre. Roll. Been a spare
2: all my life. Never actually been on a car.
0: Oh, we can't have women in the club. They'd ruin everything with their vaginas.
2: We love our patrons, so Tara and I to attempt... We we love our patrons. We love
0: sentences. We love sentences. But we can't fucking say them. English is a second language. (laughs) Farts is your first language.
2: Oh, come on.
0: Smile when you smell me.
1: and that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since
0: 1997. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.